Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. We hope you find this message encouraging. And the Lord corrects his vision and lets him know that there are other people out there that are still serving the Lord that haven't bowed a kneel to Baal. And so Elijah kind of shakes himself and gets up and goes about his business, and the Lord kind of gives him the perspective of, you need to look at somebody to secede you. And uh, so he goes, sees Elisha uh, plowing in a field, plowing behind an oxen, and he throws his mantle on him as a sign that the mantle has fallen on him for him to follow him. And what does Elisha do? He kills the ox and burns the plow to, to basically give the oxen as a sacrifice to the Lord. And he uses the meat to feed all of his town folk. And now you want to talk about 100% commitment. There wasn't any going back. Amen. After you burned the plow and you roast oxen on the plow, then uh, back in those days the, wood, the, the plows were wood for the most part. Uh, so it was, it was 100% commitment. Uh, and sometimes we don't give that 100% commitment. It's kind of like I uh, heard a story one time about the, all the barnyard animals were talking about how good their farmer was to them, and they were talking amongst themselves trying to figure out what they would do to, to show their appreciation, and uh, the chicken comes up and says, well, we ought to fix him breakfast one morning. Show our appreciation to the farmer for how good he treats us. And the cow says, that's a wonderful idea. Said, you can give the egg. I'll give some milk. We'll have him a glass of milk there. If he wants cereal, milk for the cereal. And we need something else. And they said, we can have bacon and eggs. And the pig said, wait a minute. For you all, it's an offering. For me, that's a 100% commitment. (laughs) Sometimes we're a little hesitant on the 100% commitment. And that's what 2020 Vision is all about. And we've been talking about it through that perspective for a while. So Elisha then becomes Elijah's underling for a period of time, a large period of time. He's his helper, his, his person that he's training up in the ministry. We know the rest of the story is that one day, whenever the Lord decided that it was time for Elijah to go home, here comes the chariot of fire out of heaven takes him up, he goes to heaven. Elisha alone is left. The mantle falls on him again, and uh, it falls at his feet, actually, whenever Elijah's taken up to heaven. He picks up the mantle. Instead of putting it on, he goes back to the River Jordan that they just crossed, holds it up to heaven and says, where is the God of Elijah? You would think he would say, where is my God, or God show yourself, or something along those lines, and he says, where is the God of Elijah? My question through this whole thing has not been, where is the God of Elijah? We know where he's at. He's on his throne. He's still in charge. He's still, he's still got this thing in his hands, amen, and uh, we're getting closer every day to it winding down, but it's in his plan. My question is not, where is the God of Elijah, but where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the people that are willing to stand up and say, I believe in God, regardless of whatever happens? Where are the people that are willing to stand up and say, come hell or high water, and I mean that literally and figuratively, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve God? Thank you, Miss Emma. 
<laughs> that, was a, that was a weak amen there. Where are the people that are willing to say, I'm going to stand up for what I believe and what I know is right in the sight of God beyond anything else that comes along? We're living in a day and a time when that is not a popular stance. But I don't care. Amen? You've come too late to tell me that God is not real. You've come too late to tell me that God still does not heal. You've come too late to tell me that God doesn't answer prayer. You've come too late to tell me that God is still not working in the midst of people on this earth and that he hears the prayers of the church and he acts on them. Somebody come with me this morning. You've come too late to tell me. It's like I told my wife some time back uh, regarding some other issues. There's, there's coming a day and a time when we're going to have to draw a line in the sand. And I told her, I said, if things progress the way that I see them progressing, I'm too old to change. <laughs> I'm not going to give up some things that I hold near and dear on this earth just to go along to get along. It's gonna, it's, there's going to come a day, and I don't think it'll be too long, when we as born-again believers are going to have to stand up for what we believe in. Amen? So here's the deal. Where are the Elijahs of God? We've looked at it from this standpoint. I've talked about three things during this. Number one, if we look at Elijah and Elisha and who they were and what they, what they did and what we can emulate, what we need to look for, what we need to aim toward, number one, they stood up for what they believed. Even when it wasn't popular, Elijah, before his encounter with Elisha, had just had the biggest uh, showdown that there's ever been really in the whole Bible whenever he faced off singly against 750 prophets of a false god. And yet he was willing to stand up and say what he believed in and put God on the spot basically to, to answer the way that Elijah knew that he would. Sometimes we're a little reticent to stand up for our faith. Sometimes we're a little reticent to let people know that we're praying about certain things. Sometimes we're a little reticent to stand up for what we believe. But if we're going to be Elijah's and Elisha's of God, then we're going to have to do that. The second thing is they listen for the voice of God. Yes, God still speaks. We spent a couple of weeks on that. If you weren't here and you want to catch that, it's on YouTube, uh, not YouTube, but Facebook. Uh, Zach's very, very good about posting those on there. Also, you can go and subscribe to the podcast where you won't miss anything, even if you're not here. You can still catch a sermon. But basically, God is a speaking spirit. The Bible tells us that God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, you, it's not a physical thing. The physical may come along with it. The physical may lift their hands. The physical may say hallelujah or praise the Lord, but it comes from within. It's not a physical act. It's a spiritual act, and we are spiritual beings along with God because he made us in his likeness. Somebody say amen. So God, who is a spirit and speaks, will speak to our spirit. We talked about it in, in the midst of all this. You can, you can get three whole verses into the Bible before God said something, and he says something in two verses before this Bible is over. All the way through there, you're going to find, if you include all the, all, the, all, the, all the ways that you can say God said something, says something, speaks, all that kind of stuff, you're going to find 2,500 entries minimum where God said something. That tells me, 
that when he says, he who has ears, let him hear. That we ought to be listening. <laughs> Amen. We ought to be tuned in. Tune out all this stuff that takes up our time and all of our attention. And tune in to what God is going to tell us and what he's going to say to us. So they listened for the voice of God. And then they did their very, very best not to just listen. But as James says, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. I think it's as, just as important. If my, It's about 40, 49%. Listening for the voice of God, about 51% get up and do something with it. Because it does us no good. It, it becomes a, a spiritual exercise. We're doing spiritual calisthenics if we're not doing something with it. We become like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were willing to know the answers but not willing to do anything about it in Jesus' time. That's whenever he calls them whitewashed tombs. Amen. That wasn't a good thing, in case you're wondering. He, he says, you guys know all the answers, but you're not doing anything with it. You travel halfway around the world to proselyte one person and win them to Judaism, and then you make them, what did he say? Twice the child of hell that you are because of all the little bitty rules that you expect them to follow. See, here's the thing. God wants us to have a relationship with him and such a relationship that the people around us develop a hunger, an appetite to, to have what we've got. That somebody around you is going to look at you and say, that person, uh, they may not be perfect, but you know what? I, I sense a, a, something about them whenever I'm around them, and, and whenever I'm going through something, they, they care enough to ask me what they, what I can, what they can pray with me about. And, and, and all of a sudden, they develop that hunger to know what is going on with you. I've lived that before. See, I was, I was out there. I did, not, I did not know God, didn't have a relationship with God. All of a sudden, poof, God is on the scene in my life. I go to an Easter production uh, about the passion, and, and I come away from that saved, changed, Turned my direction 180 degrees. I was headed to hell and then I was headed to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, for the next two or three weeks, I didn't feel like I walked any lower than that from the floor because I felt like I'd had the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders. And I began to see some of the, the things about how I lived. And I said, this is not what would be pleasing to God. So I began to change that. And with his help and the leading of the Holy Spirit, I began to leave behind some habits. I began to talk a whole lot better, if you know what I mean. Because, man, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I was, I was in my early 20s, and I, anything that came down the pike, I thought I was big enough to try it on, I tried it on. And all of a sudden, and without my knowing it, God let that be an advertisement for what he could do. That he could save a soul that was headed to hell. That he could come into the life of somebody that never knew him, and all of a sudden they're different. And I began to have people that I worked with, now they wouldn't come up in a group. But they came up individually, one by one, and they said, what, what is going on with you? I don't know. What, what are you talking about? You're different. I don't know how to explain it, but you're different. It's like, well, all right. Somebody's noticing. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I was in on it. I was right there, so I didn't notice it that much. But people, one by one, began to come up and say, what is different about you? 
And it's whenever we, as human beings, allow the living God of this universe, maker of all things, to come in and make us new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was no longer who I was then, but I became a new creature in Christ. That's the answer to the problems in this world. Oh, my Lord, I don't know if, you, if you're sick of it. I'm so sick of hearing about all this politics on TV and who believes this and who thinks that and what they think about Christians and everything else. You know what? Again, you've come too late to t try to change my mind. And so what we've got to do is stand up for what we believe, listen for the voice of God, do what he says, and then finally, and this is, this is my closing point if I can get there. Okay, if I can get there. I could preach this thing uh, from now till the Lord comes back, and it'd be every Sunday. They invited and they invested in the next generation. From the very beginning of this, when Elijah comes on the scene, till he has his little pity party with God, and he realizes that God's got a bigger plan than he can fathom, and he goes and calls Elisha to follow him, and then Elisha follows him, and then Elisha, uh, it, the mantle fell on him. And from that point on, and this was eye-opening to me. I've read this Bible through I don't know how many times now. I lost count a long time ago. But whenever you can read something that you've read time and time and time again and find something new, find another dimension, find another perspective, it's proof to me it's a living word. And so I began to look at it from this perspective that, that, that these two guys, Elijah and Elisha, invested and invited the next generation. And so here is Elijah calling Elisha. Elisha's then the man. He's the prophet. And he helps out. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 2, the first thing he does after the mantle falls on him and he comes back across parts of the river, the next thing that happens is people come to him and say, there's a town over here and the water's bad and it's killing all their animals and killing all their crops and causing birth defects and all this kind of stuff. What, what Can you do anything about it? Bring me a bowl of salt. Excuse me? Yeah, bring me a bowl of salt. And he goes and, and through the power of God, cures that water, heals this town. Now you think about what it means to save a town, and this was in the physical sense, but you think about what we can do in saving a town. You think about how important our witness is, what we say, how we approach people, how we win people to the kingdom makes a difference. Somebody say amen. You go two more chapters along, and here's this widow, and her, her husband was a prophet. In other words, he was a preacher, and he had died, and they had some debts, and so the people, the debtors, were coming to take her sons and sell them on the auction block as slaves to pay the debt. She comes to Elisha and says, my husband, who was a preacher, and he served you, he helped you out, he was part of your ministry. What can you do about this? And that's the one, you remember the story, when he tells her, how many, how many bowls and pots and pans and bottles and jars do you have? Well, a few. Well, go borrow some. Anything else in the house? Just one little vial of oil. Well, here's what you do. You go and borrow as many pots and pans and bottles and jars 
I mean, I'm talking about peanut butter jars, mayo jars, quart jars, any kind of thing you can find, and you get them in the house, and you shut the door, and whenever you begin to pour that oil out of that little bitty vial, don't you stop pouring until everything's full. And they filled them all up. And the minute they filled up the last jar, guess what? Miracle's over. Sometimes we limit what God wants to do in our lives because we hadn't gathered up all the jars we need to or we hadn't opened up this jar. So that's, this, is, this is chapter 2 of 2 Kings. Chapter 4 is where he did, does this miracle. Then it goes on to the Shunammite woman. We talked about that on, the, on first Wednesday last month. Here's this Shunammite woman has been doing them favors, letting him stay at her house. She fixed up a little room for him when he was passing through. It's like a Motel 6. We're going to leave the light on for you. And every time they'd come by, she'd feed them and had that room fixed up for them. And, and he asked his servant, Elisha asked his servant, who is Gehazi, said, what can we do for her? Think of, help me think of a gift because you know, I'm going to tell you something. We guys are bad at gifts. All the men going to leave me stuck out. Okay, thank you, Keith. At least somebody, I'm going to give you one more chance. We men are not real good at gifts. Amen? Because sometimes what we think is an awesome thing, it turns out, wah, wah, wah. I mean, you know, I, kn I knew of one couple. It's their 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, he's, the guy's thinking about it. He says, my wife, is, he looks in the kitchen. She's in there doing dishes. And, uh, and he says, you know, all these 25 years, she stood in there at that kitchen sink after we eat meals and wash them dishes. I know what I'm going to get her for 25 years anniversary. I'm going to get her a dishwasher. So he goes and gets it, puts it in the garage, keeps it out of sight. So anniversary day comes, and he says, honey, I got a little box for you. And she's thinking, little box for you. He walks her out in the garage, <laughs> ta-da. How many of you know that was one of those wah, wah, wah? So, I, okay, so one more time, guys. I'll give you a chance. Get in on this. It'll absolve you of a lot of things. Uh, 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 we'll cover a multitude of sins right here. We guys are bad at gifts. All right, that was still pretty weak. Uh, so maybe you guys are better at it than I am. So he says, what can we give her? And he, Gehazi says, well, she's, she's never had a child. And so he prays, tells her, this time next year you're going to have a, have a child. And we, we talked about this on, on last month's first Wednesday. First words out of her mouth is, oh, my Lord, no. She didn't have children. She wanted children. But her answer was, oh, my Lord, no. In other words, don't get my hopes up. And we talked about it last month. Life sometimes wrings the hope out of us. I mean, just wrings it out of us. And all her hope was gone where that was concerned. And, and I, can, I can speak on my and Miss Angie's part. We spent eight years longing for a child and couldn't have a child. And we adopted. And then when we thought our basket was full, God said, no, it's not full enough. And we, so we had Hannah. So I know all the ins and outs of this. But her deal was, oh, my Lord, no, don't, don't say this. Don't get my expector going. And, and so... Sure enough, just like the Lord says, well, this child's about three years old, and the, the child is out in the field with his father, and he says, my head, my head. 
And he went to his dad and said, my head's hurting. And what did the dad do? Somebody tell me without reading it. Go see your mama. <laughs> That's what he told. Go see your mama. And so she's holding the baby, the three, about three years old, in her lap. And he, and he dies. And so she lays the child in the, in the room of the prophet and tells the servant, saddle up a, a, a donkey because I'm fixing to go see the prophet. And, and Elisha sees her coming from afar off, and he sends Gehazi and says, what, what's going on? And she says, it's going to be all right. And so she comes on and she tells the prophet everything that's happening, and you can read it for yourself. It is a long, long, drawn-out thing, but here's the thing. He cared enough that he went and, and, and raised this boy from the dead. And, and, and so, again, we're talking about pouring ourselves, investing and inviting in the next generation. So this is two times that he has done a miracle for the next generation through the Shunammite woman. Then you've got Naaman, who's the young military guy, the commander of the Egyptian armies. And, and, he, and he tells him to dip in the river. And, and then we go on that Elijah and the young prophets. This, this is 2 Kings chapter 6. So we've only gone four chapters. Oh, my Lord, I started looking at this, and I started seeing all the things that Elisha had done to pour himself, to invest and invite in the next generation. And there's this, this Bible school, okay? It's the school of prophets, the guys that are coming up in ministry, the young guys, and they don't have any money. I mean, they were nonprofit prophets. And so they said, Elisha, the, the, the little building where we meet with you. So periodically he went by there and poured himself into these young guys. The building where we're meeting with you is not big enough. And we want a place big enough to meet with you often and, and for it to be at least comfortable. So they don't have any money. And, and they go and he says, uh, they ask for permission basically. Can we cut down some trees and build a building? Sure, go ahead. So they're out there, and they borrow an axe, and you, you've probably heard the story before. They're out there chopping trees close to the river, and the, the head of the axe flies off the handle, so he borrowed a bum axe. And so they go to Elisha, and they said, Oh, this is terrible. The axe head flew off and flew into the river. And, you know, you look at that for a minute. In this day and time, you would say, well, you want a hug or something? There, there. But in that day and time, this was a big deal. Iron was scarce. There wasn't a lot of it around. It was expensive to smelt down and, and get a piece big enough to make an axe head out of. And so in that day and time, if you borrowed something, this is according to the Jewish law, you had to pay it back double. If you couldn't produce it, if you, if you borrowed somebody's car back then and you, and you wrecked their car, then you owed them two cars. So in this case, they had to borrow an axe because they were broke. They were the nonprofit profit group. And they borrowed an axe. They lost the axe head. And you don't just take the handle back to somebody and say, thank you very much for letting us borrow your axe. You had to do what was right, so they owed him two axes. Well, they didn't have enough money to go buy one axe to begin with. So 
in a, in a day and time, we do, you know, sometimes you look at that and you just say, well, that's too bad, so sad. But Elisha cared about what was going on with these guys. And he knew that they didn't have the money to replace it. So what did he do? He took a stick and he's, first of all, he said, where did it tell, show me about where it fell. And, and he takes a stick and he throws it in the water. And the Lord does a miracle through that. And it causes the axe head to float. And it was such a miracle. You can go read this for yourself. I'm not taking you through all the scriptures because it would take too much time today. But the axe head floated. And they're all so dumbfounded at a piece of iron floating in a river. You look at it, read it for yourself. Elisha has to say, grab it. <laughs> I mean, they are just so absolutely blown away by this miracle that's been performed that they're just sitting there, and he has to tell them, would you grab it, okay? Now, he could have knocked them out of the way and said, let me grab that thing because you're not going to. But that's not letting the next generation do stuff. See, here's the thing. If we don't allow the next generation to get involved in this, and are they going to make mistakes? Oh, yes. Did I make mistakes when I started in this thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you some of the mistakes. I can, I can embarrass myself really, really quick about some of the things that I've done, some phrasing that I have said through the years, and, and I won't take time to do it this morning, but I can tell some tales on myself. Did somebody scold me and say, get out of the way, let me do this? No, they let me do it. And I've got a couple of, two or three pastors in my past that I owe them a gazillion thank yous for empowering me, for entrusting me, for giving me latitude to make mistakes. And, and see, here's the thing. Jesus does not expect us to be perfect when we come into this thing. And it don't matter if we're five or 50. Whenever we come into this thing and we know about the Lord and, and we begin to feel the excitement of the Holy Spirit within us, we're going to make some mistakes in talking to people. But what we've got to do is allow people to come in on it. Jesus did not expect us to be perfect when it started. The fact is, the way he started with everybody was come and see. Come and see. Just come and see. And sometimes we expect everybody to be perfect when they get here and, and more perfect when they leave. But see, he, he invited tax collectors. He, he invited prostitutes. Come and see. And he has an expectation that if we come and see, then what's going to happen next? We're going to see and we're going to believe. Because if we see an axe head float, guess what? We're going to become believers. Oh, yeah. Even if he has to tell, uh, grab it. <laughs> so if we come and see, and then we see and believe, and if we believe, then we're going to become. We're going to become the disciples that he wants us to be. Does that mean we're all perfect? No. It means we're on our way. I, I'm, I'm not perfect, never will be, till the day that the Lord comes back to get me. But guess what? I, I, I'm, I look back and I'm certainly not where I started. I, I'm not even where I was a few years ago. And, and it's a progression. It's that we all keep growing and, and, and learning and, and doing in the Lord and we help one another along. And so what we've got to do is get to that point where we're, there's, there's people that are above us that we look to 
for wisdom. And there are people that are coming on that we're helping along this way. It's like a, boy, this is a bad analogy right about this time. It's like a ham sandwich. Okay? My dad said this, used this as an analogy when my grandfather passed away. He said, well, he said, I'm the top slice of bread on that sandwich now and you're the meat in it. And Jesse and, and all the rest of the kids coming up were the bottom slice of bread. And, and continually that top slice of bread goes away. Guess what? Should the Lord tarry? We're not eternal on this earth. We're, our spirit's eternal. But there's going to come a day and a time when I'm gone. Going to come a day and a time when you're gone. And if we haven't trained somebody up in the ways of the Lord, if we haven't brought somebody along with us, if, if we as Elijahs haven't found our Elisha, and Elisha hasn't found the person that came up under him, then guess what? We're missing it. That's what this thing is all about. We need to continually be poured into even so much as when we get to 2 Kings chapter 13, this is Elisha on his deathbed. And King Jehoash comes and seeks his wisdom. And we talked about this back in the fall, if you were here. The title of the sermon was Arrows, and I'm sure you can go on the podcast thing and find it. But it was about King Jehoash coming to Elisha and asking him, what should we do here? And if you remember the sermon, he told him to go get his bow and arrow. And he told him to put an arrow in it. And he put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, now point it out the east window. And they shot the arrow. And he said, now take the rest of the arrows and beat them on the ground. And, and King Jehoash, you know, did the one, two, three kind of deal. Very hesitant. And Elisha's like, because you didn't own this. You're going to have to deal with this enemy for a long time. See, what we need to do is empower people. We need to let them have it. We need to, we need to help them. But then when the time comes and this next generation comes up, we need to, we need to let them have it. We need to let them do their thing and, and, and help them along as much as we can. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Christianity is one generation away from going away. There are some branches in our family tree that have already declared. I was, I was listening to a podcast this week. And y'all, I listen to news and podcasts. and, and, and try, I'm, I'm, My wife says it cannot be fun to learn anything. And I said, oh, yes, yes, it's tons of fun. I love learning stuff. The Episcopal Church of the USA says within 40 years, they won't exist. Within 20 years, they will not have a single baptized member. Now realize that they are an infant baptism church, that they believe in regenerative baptism, not like us. We believe in a believer's baptism. We won't get into all that right now. But ultimately, you start looking at the branches in our family tree that are giving it up. And I say you've come too late to convince me that that's God's plan. You've come too late to tell me that God still doesn't want us out here going into the highways and the hedges and compelling people to come in. We've got to be out here telling the, the gospel everywhere we go. And, and, and with that clarion call that Jesus saves, Jesus saves! Hallelujah! 
Jesus saves. Amen? That's our message. As simple as that. And we got to come and see. Get them to see and believe. And if they believe, they'll become. Amen? we got to help that whole process along. we got to have a 2020 vision. And that means correct vision. To put the spectacles of heaven. I've prayed that every time we've prayed th- during this message. God, would you put the spectacles of heaven over my eyes. Let me see things the way you see them. Let me see the kingdom of God like you see it. Let me see people that I encounter in this world as you see them. Because sometimes we get real judgy. Okay? And sometimes we judge them by what's going on, by what we can see. And God sees something totally, totally different. So let's pray. Father, as we have gone through this, I know you have changed my heart in some ways. And Lord, you've let me see the importance uh, through what Elisha did, Lord, of of pouring ourselves into this next generation. That we've got to be willing to concede things to them and, 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 and show them the way. Uh, Lord, to, to, to do things. But Lord, then step back and let them do it. So Lord, would you give us that wisdom to know when to do, what to do, how to do. And Lord, would you help us in every way to be the church that you have called us to be. And Lord, we are looking forward to it. I know that you still have a plan and that that plan is to save people. So Lord, help us to be a part of that. We want to be a part of your plan. Lord, we're not asking you to be a part of our plan as much as we're asking you to let us be a part of your plan. So, Lord, would you work in us and through us and help us become what you want us to be. And, Lord, while we're still praying, if there's even one person this morning that does not know you that's in this place, or maybe they're listening to a podcast even months down the road, and, Lord, you're working on their heart. If there's one person that says, I just need to make things right with you. Lord, would you touch their heart? Would you help them to make that commitment? If there's somebody in this room right now that just simply says, I need to make things right with God, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray with you? I'm not going to embarrass you, not going to call your name, not going to call you up front. You don't have to leave where you're at to get to where God is. But if you simply say, I want to make things right with God, would you just lift your hand so I know that I, who I'm praying with? Yes. Yes, I see that hand. Anybody else, you can just slip it up and back down. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to mean it in your heart. And just simply something like this. Heavenly Father, I ask you today, come into my heart and into my life. I need you. Would you forgive me for all that junk that has come between you and I. Lord, let me know that, that you're with me and I'm with you. And Lord Jesus, I accept what you did on that cross for my sake. You died in my place. You died for my sin so that I could go free, so that I could be with you in heaven one day. But Lord, while I'm here on this earth, you know everything I deal with, and I'm asking for your help. Would you lead me and guide me and direct me and fill me with your Holy Spirit? And I thank you for loving me and for saving me. In Jesus' name, and the whole church said, amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap for that this morning. Amen. Stand with me. If anybody needs prayer for anything specific, I'll be glad to meet you down front. But otherwise, I want to get you walking. And uh, 
again, don't forget about First Wednesday that's coming up, 6.30 this Wednesday night. I want you to be here if you can. We're going to have a good time in the Lord. A little more laid back on Wednesdays, but we're going to have a good worship service. Yes, ma'am. Sign up sheet for the last of the month for helping out Acts of Grace. Uh, details are out there. Or you can see Miss Lisa. But let's pray. We'll be dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, I'll meet you up front. Lord, we just uh, ask you today that just like we were talking about, you'd go with us. Help us to make a difference in this world. You didn't just call us to, to survive. You called us to thrive. And, Lord, part of that thriving is doing the will of God in, the, in this kingdom on this earth right now, here today. And so, Lord, would you let your Holy Spirit go with us, lead us, guide us, direct us in all that we do. Show us the things, again, put the spectacles of heaven over our eyes that we might see it like you see it. Give us the ears to hear what the Spirit says to us to, to do or not do. And, Lord, we are just going to give ourselves to you. We ask you to accomplish great things in us and through us and for us. And, Lord, we are just thanking you in advance for the great things you're going to do. And we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.